Chapter Four, Part One of the Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kunz. Chapter Four, Part One on the use of engraved and carved gems as talismans. The virtue believed to be inherent in precious stones was thought to gain an added potency when the stone was engraved with some symbol or figure possessing a special sacredness, or denoting and typifying a special quality. This presupposes a considerable development of civilization, since the art of engraving on precious stones offers many mechanical difficulties, and thus requires a high degree of artistic and mechanical skill. It is true that the earliest engraved stones, the Babylonian cylinders and the Egyptian scarabs, were both designed to serve an eminently practical purpose as well, namely that of seals but in a great number of instances these primitive seals were looked upon as endowed with talismanic power and were worn on the person as talismans the scarab so highly favored by the egyptians as an ornamental form is a representation of the scaraboeus sacer the typical genus of the family scaraboidae they are usually black but occasionally show a fine play of metallic colors after gathering up a clump of dung for the reception of the eggs, the insect rolls this along using the hind legs to propel it, until the material, at first soft and of irregular form, becomes hardened and almost perfectly round. A curious symbolism induced the Egyptians to find in this beetle an emblem of the world of fatherhood and of man. The round ball wherein the eggs were deposited typified the world, and, as the Egyptians thought that the scarabi were all males, they especially signified the male principle in generation, becoming types of fatherhood and man. At the same time, as only full-grown beetles were observed, it was believed these creatures represented a regeneration or reincarnation, since it was not realized that the eggs or larval and pupa stages had anything to do with the generation of the beetle. Thus the scarab was used as a symbol of immortality. While, however, this was the popular view, it seems unlikely that such close observers as were the more cultured Egyptians should have been entirely unfamiliar with the real genesis of the scaraboeus sacer. But in this case also there would have been no difficulty in finding it emblematic of immortality in the various stages through which it passed. The larval stage might well signify the mortal life, the pupa stage the intermediate period represented by the mummy, with which the soul was conceived to be vaguely connected, in spite of its wanderings through the netherworld and lastly the fully developed beetle could be regarded as a type of the rebirth into everlasting life when the purified and perfected soul again animated the original and transfigured form in a mysterious resurrection scarabs are frequently engraved with the hieroglyph ankh life and ha increase of power 
The emblem of stability, Tet, is also employed, as well as many others. In addition to these simple symbols, many scarabs bear legends supposed to render them exceptionally luck-bringing. Symbols are shown indicating Lord of Truth and Life, abounding in graces, very deeply cut as a seal, may thy name be established, mayest thou have a son, good stability, all good things, a good day, a mother is a truly good thing, or truth is a good mother. The scarab, for the Egyptians a type of the rising sun, and hence of the renewal of life after death, was copied by the Phoenicians from the Egyptian types, and modified in various ways to suit the religious fancies of the various lands to which they bore the products of their art. Much of the original significance of this symbol must have been lost. Probably in many cases little was left but a vague idea that an amulet of this form would bring good luck to the wearer and guard from harm. Funeral scarabs were often made of jasper, amethyst, lapis lazuli, ruby, or carnelian, with the names of gods, kings, priests, officials, or private persons engraved on the base. Occasionally monograms or floral devices were engraved. Sometimes the base of the scarab was heart-shaped, and at others the scarab was combined with the utat, or eye of Horus, and also with the frog, typifying revivification. Set in rings, they were placed on the fingers of the dead, or else, wrapped in linen bandages, they rested on the heart of the deceased, a type of the sun which rose each day to renewed life. They were symbols of the resurrection of the body. Some of the Egyptian scarabs were evidently used as talismanic gifts from one friend to another. Two such scarabs are in the collection of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. One bears the inscription, May Ra grant you a happy new year. The text of the other reading as follows, May your name be established, may you have a son, and may your house flourish every day. It is a curious fact that the modern greeting Happy New Year was current in Egypt probably 3,000 years ago. On the Egyptian-inscribed scarabs used as signets were engraved many of the symbols to which a talismanic virtue was attributed. The Uraeus serpent, signifying death, is sometimes associated with the knot, the so-called Ankh symbol denoting life. Often the hieroglyph for Nub, gold, appears. This symbol is a necklace with pendant beads, showing that gold beads must have been known in Egypt in the early days when the hieroglyph for gold was first used. All these symbolic figures, of which a great number occur, served to impart to the signet a sacred and auspicious quality which communicated itself to the wearer, and even to the impression made by the seal, this in turn acquiring a certain magic force. Few of us would be willing to confess to a belief in the innate power of any symbol, but the suggestive power of a symbol is as real today as it ever was. 
any object that evokes a high thought or serves to emphasize a profound conviction really possesses a kind of magical quality since it is capable of causing an effect out of all proportion to its intrinsic worth or its material quality many scarabs and signets exist made of the artificial cyanus which was an imitation lapis lazuli made in egypt this was an alkaline silicate colored a deep blue with carbonate of copper often a wonderful translucent or opaque blue glass was used the genuine lapis lazuli was also used to a considerable extent for scarabs and cylinders in egypt and assyria and gems were also cut from it in imperial roman times a notable instance of the use of lapis lazuli in ancient egypt was as the material for the image of truth ma which the egyptian chief justice wore on his neck suspended from a golden chain in roman times some of the legionnaires are said to have worn rings set with scarabs for the reason that this figure was believed to impart great courage and vigour to the wearer the egyptian amulets of the earliest period up to the twelfth dynasty circa two thousand b c differ considerably from those made and worn after the beginning of the eighteenth dynasty fifteen eighty b c those of the earlier period are not numerous and present but a small number of types animal forms or the heads of animals constituting the most favored models the precious stone materials are principally carnelian beryl and amethyst after the close of the so-called hyksos period the age during which foreign kings ruled over egypt came the brilliant revival and development of egyptian civilization that characterized the eighteenth dynasty some of the old forms were entirely cast aside while others were greatly modified in form and significance the animal forms losing much of their fetichistic quality and coming to be more and more regarded as images of the multifarious divinities worshipped in this later period in many cases the animal type was entirely or partially discarded and the amulets figured the conventional types given to the various divinities however while some of these images were wholly human many of them show a human body with an animal head various symbolic designs were also favored one believed to signify the blood of isis having the form of a knot or tie a frog fashioned out of lapis lazuli and having eyes of gold is one of these amulets of the eighteenth dynasty or later an interesting egyptian talisman in the louvre is engraved with a design representing thotmes the second seizing a lion by the tail and raising the animal aloft at the same time he brandishes in the other hand a club with which he is about to dash out the lion's brains the egyptian word quen strength is engraved beneath the design and indicates that the virtue of the talisman was to increase the strength and courage of the wearer the inscription being a kind of perpetual invocation to the higher powers whose aid was sought the children of israel when in the desert were said to have engraved figures on carnelian just as seals are engraved 
This statement, repeated by many early writers, may perhaps have arisen from an identification of carnelian with the first stone of the breastplate, the odum, unquestionably a red stone, and very possibly carnelian. There can be no doubt that this was one of the first stones used for ornamental purposes and for engraving, as a number of specimens have been preserved from early Egyptian times. Because of the cooling and calming effect exercised by carnelian upon the blood, if worn on the neck or on the finger, it was believed to still all angry passions. A class of amulets, even older than the Egyptian scarabs, is represented by the engraved Assyrio-Babylonian cylinders. There has been much discussion among scholars as to the original purpose for which these cylinders were made, some holding that they were exclusively employed as seals or signets, while others inclined to the belief that many of them were intended only for use as amulets or talismans. These cylinders are perforated and were worn suspended from the neck or wrist, as is most frequently the case with talismans, and the engraved designs often represent religious or mythological subjects, the accompanying inscription merely consisting of the names of the gods. Cylinders of this type could not have been used as personal signets, and it is quite possible that Dr. Wiedemann is right in supposing that their imprint on a document was considered to impart a certain mystic sanction to the agreement, and render the divinities or spirits accountable for the fulfillment of the contract. The oldest known form of seal is the cylinder. Babylonian and Assyrian cylinder seals are known of a date as early as 4000 BC. From the earliest period until 2500 BC, they were made of black or green serpentine, conglomerate, diorite, and frequently of the central core of a large conch shell from the Persian Gulf. From 2500 B.C. to 500 B.C., the cylindrical form was prevalent, and the materials include a brick-red ferruginous quartz, red hematite, an iron ore, and chalcedony, a beautiful variety of the last-named stone known as sapphirine, being sometimes used. On the cylinders produced from 4000 B.C. to 2500 B.C., the designs most frequently represent animal forms. On those dating from 2500 B.C. to 500 B.C. are generally inscribed five or six rows of cuneiform characters. Up to the last named date, the work was all done by the sapphire point and not by the wheel, and it is not until the 5th century BC that wheel work is apparent in any Babylonian or Assyrian stone engraving. In the course of the 6th century BC, the cylindrical seals became less frequent and the tall cone-like seals came into use. A new type makes its appearance about the 5th or 6th century B.C., namely the scaraboid seal introduced from Egypt. From the 3rd century B.C. until the 2nd or 3rd century A.D., the seals became lower and flatter, and the perforation larger, until they sometimes assumed the form of rings. Later the ring form becomes general. They are usually hollowed a little in the middle, which gives them the shape and size of the lower short joints of a reed. 
Indeed, it has been suggested that the original seal was rudely patterned after a reed joint. The materials used for these cylinders include lapis lazuli, very freely used and probably from the Persian mines, jasper, rock crystals, chalcedony, carnelian, agate, jade, etc. A hard black variety of serpentine is perhaps the most common of all the materials used for this purpose. A good example of these talismanic cylinders shows the figure of the god Nebo, seated on a throne and holding a ring in his left hand. Before him are two altars, over which appear respectively a star and the crescent moon. In front of the god is the figure of a man in an attitude of adoration. Borsippa, where the cylinder was found, was the special seat of the worship of Nebo, whose name appears in those of the kings Nebuchadnezzar, Nebopalassar, and Nabonaid. Regarded as the inventor of writing and as the god of learning, Nebo was the lord of the planet Mercury, and this shows a close connection between Babylonian and Greco-Roman ideas in reference to the god associated with that planet. Nebo was also believed to be the orderer of times and seasons, and this character is indicated by the star and the crescent. The Cretan peasants of today set a high value upon certain very ancient seals, dating perhaps from as early as 2500 B.C., which they find buried in the soil. These seals are inscribed with symbols supposed to represent the prehistoric Cretan form of writing. Of course, these inscriptions, which have not yet been deciphered by archaeologists, are utterly incomprehensible for the peasants, but they undoubtedly serve to render the stones objects of mystery. The peasants call them galopetre, or milk stones, and they are supposed to promote the secretion of milk, as was the case with the galactite. The careful preservation of these so-called galopetre by Cretan women has served the purpose of archaeological research, as otherwise so large a supply of these very interesting seals would not now be available. Many engraved stones of the Roman imperial period bore the figures of Serapis and of Isis, the former signifying time and the latter earth. On other stones, the symbols of the zodiacal signs appear, referring to the natal constellation of the wearer. The astrologers, who derived their lore from the Orient, were consulted by all classes of the Roman people, and it is therefore very natural that the signet, or the ring worn as an amulet, should frequently have been engraved with astrological symbols. These designs were usually engraved on onyxes, carnelians, and similar stones in Greek and Roman times, but occasionally the emerald was used in this way, and more rarely the ruby or the sapphire. Here the costliness of the material was probably thought to enhance the value of the amulet. The emerald ring of Polycrates must have possessed some other than a purely artistic value in his eyes, when it could be regarded by him as the most precious of his possessions. 
in roman times the image of alexander the great was looked upon as possessing magic virtues and it is related that when cornelius macer gave a splendid banquet in the temple of hercules the chief ornament of the table was an amber cup in the midst of which was a portrait of alexander and around this his whole history figured in small finely engraved representations from this cup macer drank to the health of the pontifex and then ordered that it should be passed around among the guests so that each one might gaze upon the image of the great man polio relating this states that it was a common belief that everything happened fortunately for those who bore with them alexander's portrait executed in gold or silver indeed even among christians coins of alexander were in great favor as amulets and the stern john chrysostom sharply rebukes those who wore bronze coins of this monarch attached to their heads and their feet nowhere in the world was the use of amulets so common as in alexandria especially in the first centuries of our era and the types produced here were scattered far and wide throughout the roman world amulets made from various colored stones had been used for religious purposes in egypt from the very earliest period of its history so that the custom was deeply rooted in that land when therefore alexandria was founded in the fourth century b c and became a great commercial centre attracting men of all races and all religions it is not surprising that the population eagerly adopted the various amulets used by the adherents of the different religions the result was a combining and confusion of many different types with the rapid rise and growth of the christian religion a new element was introduced unquestionably the leading christian teachers were strongly opposed to such superstitious practices but the rank and file of the faithful clung to their old fancies in the second century the gnostic heresy gave a new impulse to the fabrication of amulets this strange eclecticism resulting from an interweaving of pagan and christian ideas with its complicated symbolism much of which is almost incomprehensible found expression in the creation of the most bizarre types of amulets and the magic virtues of the curious designs was enhanced by inscriptions purposely obscure the incomprehensible always seems to have a mysterious charm for those devoted to the magic arts and the adepts willingly catered to this taste so that we can often only guess at the signification of the words and names engraved upon the gnostic or basilidian gems so widespread was their use throughout the roman empire that there were factories entirely devoted to the production of these objects regarding the sacred name abrasax which was inscribed on so many gnostic gems we read in saint augustine's treatise de hares six basilides asserted that there were three hundred and sixty-five heavens it was for this reason that he regarded the name abrasax as sacred and venerable according to the greek notation the letters comprising this name give that number alpha equals one beta equals two rho equals one hundred alpha equals one sigma 
equals 200, alpha equals 1, she equals 60, total 365. It is, however, not unlikely that the 365 days in the solar year are signified, and this enigmatical name might thus be brought into connection with Mithra, the solar divinity, who was worshipped throughout the Persian and Roman empires in the first and second centuries of our era. A very recondite but ingenious explanation of the Gnostic name Abrasax is given by Harduin in his Notes to Pliny's Natural History. He sees in the first three letters the initials of the three Hebrew words signifying Father, Son, and Spirit, Ab, Ben, Ruah, the triune God, the last four letters are the initials of the Greek words meaning he saves men by the sacred wood, the cross. This seems rather far-fetched, it must be confessed, and yet to anyone familiar with the vagaries of Alexandrian eclecticism and with the tendency of the time and place to make strange and uncouth combinations of Greek and Hebrew forms, there is nothing inherently improbable in the explanation. Indeed, the Hebrew and Greek words in this composite sentence might have been regarded as typifying the union of the Old and New Testaments, and such an acrostic would certainly have been looked upon as possessing a mystic and supernatural power. End of chapter 4, part 1 On the use of engraved and carved gems as talismans